Wanted to give you guys, just uh, let you guys know one small announcement. You guys know that we finished the book of Philippians um, two weeks ago. We're going to be starting Luke uh, this morning, the Gospel of Luke. Some of you guys wrote going, oh no, we're going to be in this thing for like five years of the way you preach the book. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it could be a few weeks, a few months, or a few years, or uh, future glory. Uh, so, but here's what I wanted to do. There's a book that just came out called Who is Jesus? This is a, a great resource. You know, we encourage you to be well-read, well-thought. Um, it fits well with our study of Luke, and it also fits well with coming off the tail end of Philippians, where we marveled at the person and work of Jesus. We talked about how maturity and growth is by looking at him and seeing him. So what we did was we got a copy for every one of you in the church. So um, if you want, before you leave, look in the back. There's a nice big stack of all of these books. Make sure you grab one before you leave. Uh, so you can read it, enjoy it. Uh, the reason I like this book, this is written by Greg Gilbert, the same guy that wrote What is the Gospel? And he writes in a way, whether you are um, really in fifth grade or you guys have a PhD, uh, it's the same re- re- readability, right? Something like that. It's, 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 just, it's easy to read no matter where you fall on the spectrum. So you're not, you're not you know, nervous. We didn't give you an encyclopedia. We also didn't give you a little coloring book. We gave you something right in the middle That'll, I think, feed your soul well. So enjoy it. Listen, if you're new and visiting, join the party. You can take one, too, uh, before you leave, um, as long as you promise to use it and maybe look at it, okay? And then uh, once you're done reading, give it to a neighbor or hand it to somebody else uh, for them to enjoy. So make sure you guys grab a copy of, uh, of Who is Jesus. So, all right, good. Why don't we, uh, let's pray, ask God to move, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into uh, Luke's gospel, all right? God, thank you uh, just for who you are. God, thank you in the, in the moments where we don't see you as good, we don't see you as beautiful. Thank you that we can come together as just honest people who are in desperate need of grace, desperate need of a work of your spirit. God, we're thankful that we're just one big, goofy, beautiful mess that's saved by a perfect Jesus. God, who's righteous, who is overseeing all things, who's reigning and ruling over all things. God, I pray however we enter the, the space this morning that you'd meet us there. God, we need to see more of you. We need our eyes off of ourselves. Um, We're thankful that you offer life, that you don't try to take from us. But God, every good gift, namely that's bound up in the person and work that is Jesus Christ, is for our joy and for our good. So help us to believe that this morning. Help us to trust that. Uh, We're excited at how you're going to use this gospel account to shape and refine us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 1. Um, if you're doing the math, there's about 24 chapters in Luke, and uh, Luke's gospel is an exciting one. And so here, just so you know, right out of the gate this morning, you're just going to get a lot of information, okay? We're going to do much more of an introduction than next week. We're really going to hit the ground running. So um, there's a lot of information that's going to that's come at you, but it's got to be uh, given to us so we can really understand the context and the wholeness of this book and who Luke is and why he's writing it um, as we get going. So if you go to Luke chapter 1... Um, there, we're going to see introduction and background to Luke, who he is, um, and next week we'll really get into um, the logistics of it all. Now, now, when I was, I was going to say when I was in seminary, I'm still there, so I'm, I'm doing the kind of the tourist wins the race uh, kind of thing, so I take like four or five classes a year. I started like, it feels like a millennia ago, but I started like six years ago just taking classes in full-time ministry. My wife and I did a lot of prayer going, okay, I don't feel like I should be called out of ministry and just go knock it out in a year and a half. Let's just keep Bearing our head, taking classes, applying it, using it in real life situations. God's been good in that. Um, so I'm like halfway through a 98 credit something. 
uh, that just, I guess, gives me a title at the end of my name, which I don't want. So here, here's, here's, what, here's the, the good of that, though, is, is as we studied the Gospels in school, here's one of the things that I consistently heard that was so encouraging and really a good reminder that, that these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are really the fountainhead of all of Scripture, okay? So everything kind of stems out of these four accounts. So everything you see about Jesus in the Gospels, you can then go see shadows of everywhere in the Scriptures. So whether you go to the Old Old Testament or New Testament, it all zeroes and hones in on these four gospel accounts. It kind of causes the ripple effect. So if you kind of open your Bible to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it reverberates out east to west. Okay, that's kind of the visual picture you get, and it sends out reverberation of all that we read in here that makes the Old Testament make sense as we see his promises kept in Jesus, and then we see all his promises made in the New Testament forward in Jesus. And so um, it's, it's important that we understand the Gospels. It's important that we get our faces in our Bible and look at Jesus and see who he is and see what he's done. And so um, here's what we're going to um, see this morning uh, as, as I was um, thinking about just which, which gospel to land on, um, they're all awesome, okay? So there's not one that's like more inspired than the other one, and I pick Luke because, you know, he kind of was more legit in his hearing from the Holy Spirit and the God controlling what he wanted to say. They're all good, and they're all perfect, and all written for the reason that God has and his infinite wisdom for us to have all the revelation we're supposed to have to know him. And as I was personally walking through these different books, when we hit Luke, Luke was just a guy that I could relate to. Okay, because Luke is a guy that doesn't just believe things because he should believe them. He has intellectual honesty in his faith to actually seek out truth and see what it says. And he gathers sources. You're going to see that this morning. This guy is a guy that if you're, if you're a skeptic or you're someone who's not quite sure about who Jesus is or Christianity, you can relate to him. Okay, this is a guy that said, hey, I was like that too. So he sought out to know the life and teachings of Jesus. He wanted to know who this Jesus was. Then he discovered who this Jesus was. Then he was confirmed by who this Jesus was. And then he writes to tell everybody who this Jesus was. And he says, and you can have certainty of it. Okay, so he's not, he doesn't just have blind faith. He's someone who actually has enough intellectual honesty to say, hey, I'm going to seek out what's really true because if we can know truth, I want to know what it is. And we're going to see that in the life and teachings of Jesus that he writes here. And it's a, it's a two-part book, Luke and Acts. So he wrote both of these. It is this 52-chapter volume book. It spans 60 years. And actually, if you add up all of the literature Luke wrote in just these two volumes, it's more than anyone else wrote in the New Testament. So he wrote more than Paul. So that's a lot of work. So we should look at this. We should see what God might have to say to us through this study of Luke and then maybe Acts following I don't know yet. We'll have to wait 10 years from now to see if we're going to get there. So um, first, let's just start with who is Luke, okay? We've got to know who Luke is. We've got to know why Luke wrote this, who's he writing it to, and that'll set us up for the coming week. So who is Luke? Now, all we know according to Luke in the New Testament is really three main things, okay? He's a Gentile doctor, Gentile physician, okay? He is a fellow companion of Paul. He traveled around with Paul. He saw what Paul, God did through Paul's ministry. He's loved by Paul, and he was powerfully transformed by the person and work of Jesus, Okay, how do we know that? Well, Colossians 4 tells us that Luke is a physician. Okay, so he, he's a doctor. Okay? We also know in Philemon that he is a beloved fellow companion. Okay, every time Paul mentions Luke, which is few, he always says he's beloved. He's loved by him. And how do we know that he has a tenacious heart for the things of God? If you go to 2 Timothy 4 where Paul is in his second imprisonment term, he's about to be beheaded for the faith. Everyone deserts him except one guy, Luke. Luke hangs in. 
So the gospel must have so penetrated his life, his heart, that, man, he's willing to hang with Paul when everyone else is leaving, when persecution's rising in the church, when people are railing against the God of the universe and this Jesus, he, he hangs in there. He encourages Paul. That says a lot about his heart. It says a lot about who Luke was as a person. Now, why does it matter that we know who Luke is? Well, one of the reasons we need to know that about Luke is because Luke's going to show how the gospel came not just to reach Jew, but Gentile too. You're going you're gonna to see that. And you're going to see it's going to make a lot of sense that he's a doctor because he focuses a lot on Jesus' healings. Right? Luke's the guy that cares about the physical, the body. That's why you're going to see a lot of Luke that talks about his, his miraculous works, the ways that he cared for people physically. Uh, the other reason that we need to know who Luke is, is because this is why. Because Luke has been so profoundly changed. Jesus isn't some dude he just knows or thinks about or thinks is a moral teacher or did some good things. He's been so transformed by this Jesus that he wants to lay before his readers that, man, the good news is all that God accomplished through this Jesus, through his life, through his teachings, through his death, through his resurrection. So he wants you to know this is not just a story, this is history. And, and this is history that actually can transform the heart and mind. It's the only history that exists that can actually transform a person. Okay, there's lots of other history you can read. You can read good facts and good things on, you know, the cosmos or whatever. But this is the only truth that actually gets inside of you and gives you a new heart and a new mind, a new way to see life, view life, have purpose, meaning, joy, why I exist, why I am the way I am. I mean, that, that's, that's what he wants to lay before us. He wants us to know all of those things. Now, how do we know that Luke wrote it? Because his name's never mentioned in it, right? I know some of you in here are going, oh, see? How do, how do we, right? How do we know that Luke wrote this? Well, let's, let's, let's see, because his name's never explicitly mentioned. Okay, the first reason, just so you know, we can be confident Luke wrote this is because of tradition. Now, you can't put all your weight on tradition, okay? But there's good weight that should be placed on tradition. So if you get back to the earliest New Testament books known as the Muratorian canon. Okay, they all ascribe indefinitely Luke as being the writer, and there is nothing else, no evidence anywhere else up saying that Luke would not be the one who wrote this. Okay, so, so that's just in a tradition sense. Everyone marks Luke as being the author, but let's go a bit further. Go to, just flip over to Acts real quick, Acts chapter 1. Okay, this is what Acts chapter 1 says. We believe Luke is the writer of. We're going to see how, how this connects real quick. This is what Acts 1, 1, just one verse says. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, so we know whoever wrote Luke wrote Acts. Okay, he's writing to Theophilus saying, hey, the book I just wrote to you, okay, was all about the life and teachings of Jesus. Okay, so we need to know who wrote Luke. Right? And if we know who wrote Luke, then we know also, or if we know who wrote Acts, then we know who wrote Luke. And so here's the thing. If you follow Acts, and this is really important to understand, Luke is not a book of Luke being an eyewitness. Acts is a book of Luke being an eyewitness to what he writes. Now, in Luke, 
Acts is a beloved companion of Paul, who is an eyewitness of things. He also knows Matthew, Mark, which we're going to see, who are also eyewitnesses of things. So so Luke is a a compilation of all of these things that were eyewitnesses to what Jesus did, his personal work, and the Holy Spirit of God also filled in the gaps for all we need to know. But in Luke's writing, in, in Luke writing Acts, Acts is an eyewitness account because Acts 16 on, the language changes to, we went here, I saw this with, we went with Paul, we went with Mark. So here's what we know. From Acts 16 minimum on, he was with Paul from Macedonia forward in his ministry. Okay, so there's a long list of people that were with Paul and companions with Paul. If you just read Acts alone, okay? So we have to do process of elimination. Okay, you guys ever done that? No? Okay, I don't know how you passed elementary school. Okay, so but here's... here's process of elimination. You, you take all the people that are listed out, okay, and then you kind of look at who wrote who and who said what, and then you figure, okay, who's left, okay? So, so here's what we do. So if you look at all the people, the long list of all the companions, there are only three people that are mentioned by name, which means, okay, that'll leave those three at least who may have wrote it, because you don't write about yourself in the third person. So I'm not writing the book going, hey, we went here, and then Mike Reed did this, right? That'd be weird. That'd be bad literature. Okay, so that leaves us Demas, Titus and Epaphras. Okay, we know what happened to Demas, right? Abandoned the faith. Okay, we need to spend a lot of time on that. He, he left the faith. He left Paul. He didn't like to believe in the works of God. So, so we know Demas didn't write it. Okay, that leaves Titus and Epaphras. Well, Titus and Epaphras, neither of them were with Paul from Macedonia on, from all we know in the New Testament. That leaves one guy who we do know was with Paul based upon the New Testament, which is Luke. So we can easily conclude that, that Luke wrote this book, that he's the one writing from Eyewitness and Acts, and he's the one also writing saying, hey, Theophilus, by the way, remember that first gospel I wrote, which has been marked by eyewitness accounts saying Luke is the writer of it, so, so Acts confirms it and tradition confirms it, and so we know the early church believed this, so Luke is the writer, and Luke is now going to lay before us in the first four verses how what he's going to write from verse five on is not just human ingenuity, It's not just clever ideas, not just cute sayings. Hey, I want to tell you about this guy, Jesus, who lived one time. He's going to say, this is is factual. This is credible. Here's what he says in verse 1. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So Luke is just setting up for us what he's about to write. And here's, just not to get heady on you, but just to lay before you, here's why it's important to know these first four verses and the rest. The first four verses are written in what's known as classical Greek, okay? That's just really, really, really deep, hard-studied Greek. The rest is what's known as common Greek. Here's why that matters. Luke has brains. He's a brilliant Man, he's laying on the table his credentials. So no matter how high you are in your study or theology, you're going to see later it matters based upon who he's writing to. He's going, hey, man, I have credentials. I'm a credible historian. Man, I've studied. Look at the way I can write. And so he's going to lay everything out going, hey, what I'm about to say, you you can trust me. Okay, because I'm a man who's taken the time to research and do study and I've got credibility, right? This is the kid who's in your class and he never studies and gets an A. You know what I mean? Don't you hate that kid? That's Luke, okay? Just, 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 just brilliance just oozes from him, okay? So he's just laying before us the credentials, and we're going to see how that matters a lot more in just a minute. So right off the bat, we see in verse 1, Luke is a brilliant man, and he's going, I'm writing 
this as history. And guess what? There's already books about this. Like, I'm just citing sources. Like, like people kept memoirs. People kept journals. People wrote about the things that they saw. He goes, and by the way, there's, there's eyewitnesses. I mean, Luke was believed to have been written based upon all the study about A.D. 60. Jesus' you know, death and resurrection is about A.D. 33, 36. He goes, there are people still alive who saw it, who are saying the exact same thing in the exact same way. I'm just documenting it. So he's going, man, this is, this is credible what I'm saying. So I'm compiling this account. I'm giving all these sources, followers who saw him and saw the resurrection. This is a hot topic for writers. There's a lot floating around out there. There's a lot of people talking about this Jesus. There's plenty of people who were still alive and saw his person and work. So Paul's just letting the reader know, hey, others have written about Jesus. I'm going to go investigate it and see if it's legit. Smart guy, Right? He has intellectual integrity. He has intellectual honesty. Hey, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go search that out. I'm just going just to believe things blindly because someone said that or taught that growing up, right? He says, hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to process that. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do the homework. I'm going to study. I'm going to look. I'm going to seek it out. Matthew and Mark were written most likely before Luke, so Luke probably investigated those. I mean, more so, 60% of Luke is, is a lot of what Mark wrote. And how do we know that Luke spent time with Mark? Because Mark was a beloved companion of Paul. And Luke was always with Paul, so I'm sure they rubbed shoulders. And I'm sure that Luke also ran into Matthew because the early church met at Mark's house. And Matthew was a part of the early church who met with him at Mark's house. And Paul was there. And Luke was with Paul, so he's with Matthew too. You guys all follow that, right? So, so Luke's with all these dudes. Like, Luke is with apostles. Luke is with eyewitnesses. Luke is not just blindly saying, hey, guess what? I'm going to rant for 24 chapters about something that I think might have happened. So, so, so listen, if you're in here and you're, like, you're trying to like process truth, you're not sure if these things, like, just do the homework. Don't be afraid of truth. And let it just reveal itself. Because if it's true, oh boy, then our life is shaped by that. And if it's not, not true, our life is shaped by that. Just eat, drink, be merry. Let's just die. Just party, right? No purpose. Just live in vanity, right? Let's just keep hitting the ceiling of what the world says is good. Let's just keep chasing after joyless things and keep chasing the next thing and keep chasing the next thing and until we meet the person work of Jesus, who if he is all that he said he is, stops you in that moment and says, no, 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 come to me, be found in me, see me, behold me, and all of a sudden, there's gravity to life. There's beauty to life. There's, there's meaning behind all the things that we do and see and, and taste and enjoy. That's for another sermon. Okay, so here, here's, here's what we've got. Luke is with all these people. So here's what Luke is trying to do, guys, very simply in these first four verses, show you that he's credible. That's all he's doing. He's just trying to show you that he's a credible historian. This isn't some novel. This is a credible piece with credible sources. So, so here, is, here is the second reason I think that um, this, is, this is very important to know. It's not just that he had eyewitnesses and was writing in um, common and classic Greek. The, the other reason is he's showing us that he's not writing outside of tradition. Now, that's, this is really important. Because what he's saying is, man, there were a lot of gospels and writings trickling around that were crazy talk. Okay, so nothing new today, right? Go to the bookstore and grab a book off the shelf in the religious section, and you'll find some crazy things talking about Jesus, okay? So let, but do the homework, 
Okay, so, so, so he's saying, hey, that, that, that's always happened. That happened now. He goes, so what I was doing was I was verifying this isn't out of tradition. This was also things that were being matched up by eyewitness testimony. So anything that was just outlandish or erroneous about Jesus that didn't match with all the testimonies I read about, all the testimonies that I saw, he goes, man, we did away with that. I didn't, I didn't follow that. Right? He's saying this is credible. This is good. This is something that I know. And so this is amazing that he's showing us this as true history. And so Luke writes, humanly speaking off research he's done and divinely speaking off of the Spirit of God filling in the gaps and controlling information. Now, real quick, why does verse 1 matter so much? What does verse 1 guard us from? I think the first thing it guards us from is our errant understanding of inspiration. Okay, so when we as Christians say the Bible was inspired by God, I think most of us think that means that he dictated every word audibly. Right? So he said, the sea is big. Okay, Luke went, the sea is big. Right? That, that, that's not inspiration. Okay, because that, that t- and that does not nullify the firmness and authority of what was given. God used personalities of the people writing. He used the thoughts. He used the research all by God, filled in the gaps where there was new revelation needed, what they didn't see, what they didn't know. He used the ways they were wired to write to have a firmly trusted, all-encompassing, inerrant word of God. Now, now here's, I love Kevin Young. He says this, and this is um, a great way that he explains inspiration and understanding divine authorship with human authors. This is what Kevin wrote. I thought this was super helpful. Inspiration doesn't mean that human authors were not actively involved. God did not dictate the whole Bible the way an executive mechanically dictates letters to his secretary. The human author's personalities are like musical instruments. If I play the same tune on a number of wind instruments, each will sound different even if I play the exact same melody in the same key and even though it's all coming from the same breath and mind. If I play Amazing Grace on a tuba, a baritone, a trombone, a trumpet, a clarinet, a flute, it's all Andy-breathed or Andy-produced, but it goes through the personalities of the instrument. In one sense, that's how God produced the Bible through human authors, but even further, God worked through their backgrounds, including their skills and training and research. This is huge. Like that, that's why it's so fun to read. We read Philippians. It was so fun to read and just kind of see Paul's personality come out. His anguish, his hurt, his joy, but it was all guarded by the Holy Spirit, controlled by God to say what he wanted to say. So he's saying, listen, it's going to sound different based upon the personalities and people that are writing it down. So God used the good, solid, God-ordained research of Luke to do study, to talk to eyewitnesses, to gather accounts, to compile narratives to write the inspired word of God. And he used Luke's personality. He's a doctor. And it's just incredible to see. So inspiration means that God chose Luke, guided him in his writing using his unique personality, unique character to write from his perspective as God guides and sustains it all so it would be all true and all what he wanted to say. That's another sermon too, okay? So, but I want us to get this. Verse one guards us against that because we're seeing, man, he did research. God used his research to inspire this Book. Now, none of this is to nullify that it was the Holy Spirit of God at work. Luke wrote exactly what God wanted to say. I mean, there were things Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all 
did not actually experience that the Holy Spirit revealed to them and had them right. All to make up one precise, chronological, synonymous account of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. So Luke is writing this because God told him to write it. Ever thought that? I mean, why is he, why did he write a third gospel? There's already three others, right? God told him to write it from his perspective, for what he wants us to know. is God who wanted him to write one massive account that no one else did from John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, through his whole life, all the way into the gospel reaching the Roman Empire. God wanted him to do it. He wanted us to be changed by it. He wanted us to see the good in it. So he has a fully comprehensive historical writing that is that has never been written, that's precise, reliable, logical, persuasive. The other error, and then we're going to dive into verse 3, that verse 1 guards against, is the claim that before all four Gospels were written, that Jesus just, everything was just passed down orally. So how can we trust these guys? They were just listening to people talk. How do we know their memory was good? Well, this just confirms people were always writing about this. It wasn't just oral. Man, people were keeping journals of this stuff. And people are keeping accounts of this stuff. Are you telling me that if you saw the resurrection of Jesus after seeing him crucified, you wouldn't maybe jot that down as like a big moment in your life? Hey, man, life was cool. I was just, you know, doing my job, working the sheep pen. Then this guy came, awesome teaching. Saw these crazy miracles happen. People raised to life. Wasn't quite sure who he was. Saw him die. Man, then saw him rise again. Man, I'm sitting there in Matthew 28 before he ascends. Um, yeah, let me just write this down. Let me just take note of that, right? It's not just another day in the neighborhood, right? And so he's just saying, man, this is, this is what happened. And so people have always done this. So after giving his credentials, this is what he shares. And this is important. He shares who it's written to. This is good for us. Verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. <laughs> I love this. You're just seeing Luke's intellectual honesty. He followed these things for a good amount of time. He paid attention. He did research. He looked, right? And here's what I love. This is, this is so Luke's heart. If you look at Acts 17, you can either turn there or I'll just read it. Acts 17, he's writing to these people. You're going to see this heart of Luke where he encourages people to research and study and know the Bible. This is Silas and, and Paul and Berea. They arrive at a Jewish synagogue. They're going to preach a sermon. Acts 17, this is what he says in verse 10. Okay? The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Okay, now, this is, this is so important because here, here, what he's showing is, man, he, he calls these people who eagerly heard the word, didn't just hear the word. They then went back and said, hey, I'm going to research it. Let's see. That's about the Old Testament. Does that match up? Is that true? They tore apart the Bible. They looked at it. Is this true? Is this right? And he called them noble. Paul loved them. Man, these Bereans were good people. 
And there were people who didn't just take truth at face value, just listen to what the preacher said. Or man, they actually went back, had enough intellectual honesty to go back and search it out and say, hey, does this match up? Does this match up? Is this right? Is this right? Hey, he's talking about this. As they heard Paul and Silas preach, they went back to the word of God to examine it. Huge. Huge. Now, now just real quick, just to, to dovetail just for a second. First, this was not cynicism. The Bereans were not cynics listening to the Bible and preaching. They weren't going, mm, mm, trying to judge the preacher. They were eager. They loved it. They loved hearing. They loved being nourished. And then they went back and they said, okay, now let's just make sure this is true. Let's examine it. Let's look at it. So here's what I want to just quickly um, chat with us about just for a minute. Is this what we do? Do you just do you, do you hear sermons? Do you hear preaching? And then do you go back to your Bible, your Bible, and go, man, I don't know. I mean, is what Mike said is true? Is that what that podcast preacher said is true? Is it is man, I got I gotta look at it, I gotta decipher it, I gotta I gotta see. Because here's what a lot of us do, which is not bad, but it's not great. We run back to our favorite podcast guy to see what he said about it. Now listen, are good, godly preachers helpful, supplemental? Absolutely. But listen, they're not inspired by God. Like your favorite pastor, Mike Reed. No, not, not saying you're my, I'm not, that, that came out weird. What I, I meant your favorite podcast pastor or Mike Reed, separate category, okay? I am not inspired by God. Preachers are not inspired by God. God takes imperfect preaching of his word and the Holy Spirit comes around it, comes alongside it, helps deafen your ears to what's not true, let go of that, hear what is true. Do you dive to the word or are you just discipled by the internet? Like so many of us, this is so common right now, especially with the young generation. We just love jumping from podcast to podcast, preacher to preacher. I just want to hear what he says. I want to hear what he says. And that's all good. That builds you up in the faith. But at the end of the day, it'll be destructive if your spiritual life is vicariously lived through some guy you don't even know who's miles away. You can never talk to him. You're just believing what he says because he's got good credentials, which is good and helpful, but not as helpful as this book. So get your face in the Bible first as a practice to say, okay, is what Mike's saying is true? Is what this guy's saying is true? Is what Tim Keller's saying is true? Is what John Piper's saying is true? Is what, just fill in the blank, right? And go to the Bible first. Because we live in a day where I just feel like so many people never pick up their Bibles because technology makes it so accessible for us, which isn't bad. And so instead of going and being a word-driven person, we're a pastor-driven person. We think the pulpit's inspired, so whatever he says, I'm taking 100%. I don't even care, you know, because he's trustworthy and he's good. And I remember the best thing one of my professors at school said, I, would just, I love to read, so I would just read books, read books, read books. And he would always say, hey, remember that that book you're reading is not inspired. Remember that that author who's writing, it's, he's not inspired. Now, is much of what he's going to say probably totally true and helpful? Yes. But it's not the word of God. The scripture that he writes is. And so I think we have to be careful that we are not just simply, this is why, that my, one of my biggest fears is that I am the Bible you read. Me. 
that Sunday morning you come in here and I'm the only time you read the Bible. And I'm an imperfect preacher. I'm an imperfect pastor. So when I say things, I ask God to move. I ask God to work. We ask God at 9 a.m. in the room across the hall, man, close their ears to anything I might say that's just dumb Mike Reed, and then keep their ears open to what I might say that is from you, that is true, that is edifying, that is... So God uses imperfect preaching to let his perfect truth fall on ears to sow deep fruit. So brother or sister, can I encourage you that when you leave here, to default first to the word of God and not to your iTunes. And then later, go to your iTunes. Because those things are good. God has given men and women to the church as gifts to build up the body to its head, which is Jesus. You know I am not, I love listening to other preachers. That's how I grow in preaching. But let's have it in its proper place. And can I just say that That's why we need the Holy Spirit to work and act on these mornings. (laughs) Listen, we have corporate prayer on Wednesday coming up. We gather at 9 a.m. across the hall each Sunday morning. Here's why we do that. Because you guys don't just need motivation. Listen, if we don't pray and ask God to move here, then all you do coming in Sunday is you've got, okay, some great motivation. you got some, might as well bring in someone else who's a good motivational speaker. Right, just motivate you to do well and work hard and save your marriage. And right, no, we need the Holy Spirit of God to take this and we need transformation. So you don't just need motivation, you need transformation of the heart. That's why, man, we gather Wednesdays once a month as a body to say, hey, God, work in this place. Hey, God, use the Word of God to transform hearts, to transform lives, to rid us of sin and walk in holiness and see you as good. And, man, our our sinful wants don't want to do that. We're naturally bent and inclined to do the other. So help us in our marriages to be selfless and covenant keepers when I want to run and hide. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's over and over and over. So we got to beg him. That's why I can encourage you at 9 a.m. And we sit there going, okay, we've got to pray. Otherwise, just Mike Reed getting up, giving a motivational sermon. So we all leave for about five seconds motivated, right? Then you leave the doors, you get in your car, you're arguing with your wife, you're throwing things, you hate your kids, you get home, cook a burger, it's burnt. You know, just everything's a mess, right? I mean, from the second you leave here. So, So we don't just want motivation, brothers and sisters. We want transformation. So stop being discipled by the internet. And get on your knees and pray. Ask God to reveal himself. Ask God to show himself in his word to you. And here's just, you know what's, we saw this in Philippians, right? Lydia. Just thought of this, right? The church at Philippi starts. Paul and his group go by the riverside. There's a group of women by the water. Lydia's one of them, a wealthy businesswoman. She hears a profound message from Paul, and the Holy Spirit intervenes through Paul's words. It says it opens up her heart to the truth of the words that Paul spoke. Right? The transformation came because God showed up. I mean... (laughs) Paul could have given the same exact sermon to someone else on the same day, and if God didn't show up, they're still sitting by the river, the same person with an old heart and an old mind. And God says, no, I'm going to transform them. I'm going to use your imperfect words to give life to them. And we saw the church of Philippi that was birthed through the work of the Holy Spirit. Amazing, amazing, amazing. 
And let me just say this, too, that if, if you're in here and you're, you're struggling with, is Jesus who he really says he is? Is he trustworthy? Can I really trust the Bible? I mean, is this really credible? Can I, can I just encourage you that Luke's your man? <laughs> if he were here, he'd love to sit down with you and have coffee and dialogue. Keep seeking. Keep pressing. Keep asking questions. It's a great thing to do. But here's the other thing. With that asking questions, have enough intellectual honesty to give the same amount of time and energy to trying to disprove Jesus and who he is with seeing if he actually is who he said he was. See, see when, when I was a first year at a college and I was being taught crazy things about the Bible and that God was a woman, all the parts of the Bible that weren't inspired or inerrant and all these things were allegory, not true. No, it wasn't really real. There was no flood, blah, 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 on and on and on. I'm just going, man, I've grown up hearing all this stuff. I had like a crisis of faith moment and I just dove in the Bible. I just started reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. Here's what I also did. Man, I'm getting online, find all the guys that just hate Jesus. And just have apparently all this validity to say, hey, he's not the son of God. Get Bart Ehrman on here. You know, let's just, he's one of the most prevalent guys in the liberal, just work against Jesus, never rose. Wasn't really, everybody lied about their identity in the gospel account. So I'm reading all this. So, because I want to give myself enough intellectual honesty to say, I've done work, I've done study to see if what this is is true or not. And so if you're in here and you're just constantly reading what dissuades you from the truth of the scriptures, then have enough honesty in you and enough integrity to say, okay, I'm also going to spend the same amount of time pursuing what appears to be or says is true. And then just lay it out. And truth will always win. Truth doesn't need defending. Truth doesn't need help. And God will, I think, show up in in an awesome way. Okay, back to verse 3. Luke says he's writing to Theophilus, okay? There's two main camps in this um, of belief as to what this means. Some people believe that Theophilus' name actually means those who love God, one who is loved by God. So some people think, oh, well, he's actually writing to a bunch of people that love God. So there's a, there's a group of people. The other camp believes that this is some guy who's probably a high-ranking official, maybe in the Roman Empire, because Paul uses the language of most excellent. Most excellent Theophilus. He uses that term a few other times. It's always talking to a high-ranking individual or person. I believe the latter, that this is one man, Theophilus, who is a high-ranking official of some kind. I, I believe he's not a Christian. I believe he's interested in the things of Jesus, interested in the teachings of Jesus, interested in the works of Jesus. So that's why Luke compiles all this information. He goes, hey, by the way, Theophilus, guess what? I'm going to write you a 52-volume work starting with the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist, through his whole life, teachings, death, burial, resurrection, all the way into how the gospel goes to the Roman Empire to help you understand who he is and be certain of it. It's it's who he's writing to. He wants Theophilus to know you can be certain of the truth. You can know. That's why he's laid his credentials in the forefront. Hey, you you can trust this research I've done. You can trust all the study I've had. And so we see that he is writing to Theophilus. Maybe Luke had a relationship with him as a doctor. I don't know how they met. Clearly, Luke has a relationship with him, and he wants Theophilus to know, he wants anyone who reads this letter to know that this Jesus atones for sin, forgives sin, 
offers reconciliation with God, that he presents you blameless and holy before the God of the universe, that the wrath was rightly upon you because of your sin. He takes it all on himself and puts nails in his hands, nails in his feet and says, hey, I'll just take it. I'll be the substitute for Mike, Sarah, John, Josh, Brian, right? I'll, I'll be the substitute for them so they don't have to bear this penalty. And then not only will I bear the penalty, I will actually credit to them the righteousness that is me. And I'll present him holy and blameless. So he wants Theophilus and all who read to know that. And here's how we're going we're gonna to close. This is huge. Verse 4. This is what he says to Theophilus before he gets into his actual gospel. He says this. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Isn't that encouraging? You can be certain. So Luke says to Theophilus here, hey, I've compiled for you an orderly account. Hey, I've checked in with eyewitnesses that are saying the exact same thing today as they were saying 50 years ago, who saw all of this. Man, I've gotten research done. I've talked to Matthew and, and Luke and Mark. Man, I was a companion with Paul. Man, the Holy Spirit of God gave me this information. He goes, I've put this all together so that you can be certain. So apparently, Luke wasn't content with all that Theophilus knew. Apparently. Otherwise, he would have just prayed the Holy Spirit would just open his heart and do some work, right? He's going, no, I want to, I want to give you a 52-volume set. Is that enough? It'll span 60 years. Is that enough? <laughs> and I want you to know all of this truth, clarifying Jesus and his deity, his person and work. I want all this to bear weight on the testimony of who he is and what he's done. Now, now this is a bit bold, right? Because he's telling this person who might be a high-ranking official, hey, all that you've believed is wrong. <laughs> Let me tell you what's true. Let me write an account so, so you can know that this is true. He goes, I, I know you've been doing all your religious duties. You've been going to the temple. You've been worshiping this God, this God, this God. But hey, how about I write about the, the one who is God? How about I write about the one who is not just God of all the prophets, but the one who spoke as a prophet from God. How about if I tell you about his teachings? How about if I tell you about his works? How about if I tell you about his healings? How about if I tell you about his life? How about if I tell you about his death? How about if I tell you about his resurrection? How about if I tell you about the, just the implications that ripple on from Acts 2-4 where the church starts to grow and thousands trust in Christ and the world begins to be reshaped by this good news all accomplished through this person who came, incarnated, lived, and walked, died for sin, rose again, all to ransom us to himself, to give us life, to give us joy, to give us freedom, not to take from us, but to give deeper things to us, greater things to us. I mean, you want to hear that, Theophilus? Let me tell you about it. Let me write about it. This is why he's writing this gospel. This is why he's writing this for us to read. So no matter where we fall in the spectrum, we can see this and know it is good. And so he says, let me tell you about all of these things that I've verified. I've talked to people who saw it. I've researched it. And I'll eventually, guess what, go die for it. My life will be taken from me because I believe this so much. Here's one final thought as we close. Um, Luke says this in verse 1. If you look at verse 1, it says they compile the narrative of the things accomplished among us. Here's why this is important. The verb for accomplished means basically the fulfillment of something. To accomplish something means, okay, this is fulfilled. Okay, so here's why this is so important. Here's why it's so important to know 
that this is just not a book written to tell you some facts about Jesus. Okay? Because that's how two different people read this account. One will read it that this is just about Jesus giving us, hey, man, some good information on humility and societal justice. Hey, this is Jesus writing. He was kind of a misguided guy. I don't know. He kind of had some good teachings, kind of a moral person. Or this is just Jesus that did some profound things. It's cool to learn about his life. Or you read this as this is written to see what was accomplished through him. Okay, so it's not just you reading to learn facts about a person. You're not just learning about Jesus. So you can go quote and say, hey, Jesus did this, Jesus did this. No, it's by looking and marveling at Jesus, God accomplishes something divine. You get caught up in the grand story of God, of God intervening human history as the person and work of Jesus Christ to accomplish something. Right, to accomplish salvation for sinners, to accomplish reconciliation with God, to accomplish giving you a new heart and a new mind, to bring us all into the family of God, to make the church his bride, make the church his body. So this is, what Paul, this is why Luke's writing it. Luke's writing it to show you, hey, this is what was accomplished through the life, the death, and the resurrection of the very Son of God who is Jesus. Stare at it. Marvel at it. Get caught up in that story. Look at what was accomplished. And look how it just continues on today. The ripple effects of this man's life. So let's, let's dive in next week, not just going, hey, what can I learn about him or see about him alone? Listen, the gospel of Luke, as weird as it sounds, is not meant to terminate on Jesus. It terminates on what was accomplished through Jesus. And that's what Luke wants us to know. Luke wants us to see that. So in all that we're going to read, all we're going to dive into, all we're going to see, let's pray we get caught up in that. Let's ask him to do that. God, thank you that, that you're a God who, who writes. We're excited next week to really begin running with Luke just as a spectator, as someone who can enjoy learning and reading and seeing, but we pray that this would not just be information for us, but be something that leads to transformation of the heart. God, I pray that as we see Jesus and, and consider his life, consider his works, consider his teaching, Consider what he did. Consider why he came. Consider how he lived. That we would ultimately see a good and gracious God that in his relentless pursuit of us wanted covenant with us, wanted us to be rescued from ourselves, wanted to breathe life into our lungs, wanted to give us a new mind and a new heart. So in in prayer, Lord, I pray we get caught up in the glory that is the person and work of Jesus that he might reveal to us his worth, his works, his truth, his salvation. Got to pray for those in this room that might just have a hard heart right now. I get it. I was there. There are many in this room who were there. God, are just struggling with what to believe, what to know. God, would you be kind to them? Would you consistently and persistently woo them to yourself, irresistibly? God says so that they might not be able to run away from the grace that is Jesus Christ. That the glory that they see in you would be inescapable. God, thank you that this is not just a story, that this is history. Thank you that it's history that transforms. We pray you do that for however long you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.